everybody. Thank you so much for joining us online. My name is Taylor Leal and I'm the kids director here. And we just want to say thank you for joining us. You guys are part of a growing community online and we're so happy that you're a part of it. Uh, we, are, we are actually on part three of a three-week series called Just a Phase. And Patrick Holden, our lead pastor, is going to be talking about conflict and how to fight with your kids. But don't worry, it's going to be healthy conflict and it's going to be really awesome content. So stay tuned. It's going to be great. We just also want to thank you again for sharing all of our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You're part of a community that is sharing the word through social media, and we are just so excited about that. You guys are sharing the, the good news with our community and really around the world. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Stay tuned. We have an awesome day lined up for you. Just a young gun with a quick fuse. I was so tight, wanna let loose. I was dreaming of bigger things and wanna leave my own life behind. Not a yes sir, not a follower. Fit the box with the mold of the seed in the foyer. Take a number, I was lightning before the thunder. up at 1 a.m. and thought it was time to party and he stayed up until 5 a.m. I'm like, 
this is not acceptable when we have to be at church at 7 a.m. This is crazy. So I'm sure you guys can all relate. I'm sure that hit home for most of you. But hey, my name is Taylor Leal. I'm the kids director here at Kensington. And if this is your first time, we just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We want you to know um, that this is a safe place for you to explore your faith and ask questions and, and dig a little bit deeper. So thank you so much for being here. And also, we have something called Starting Point that we would love for you guys to check out. So if you have your device on you, your cell phone, if you want to go ahead and go to startingpoint.today, you can just go ahead and submit some of your information, and it helps us connect with you. And also, we hope that that would, be able, that would help us give you more information about our mission and our vision um, and some of the cool things that we do here. So startingpoint.today is something that we'd love for you to check out if you're new. Um, also, if this is your first time here, we want you to know that we are on week three of a three-part series called It's Just a Phase. And so um, Patrick Holden, our lead speaker, is going to be talking about conflict and how to fight with your kids. That's exciting, right? <laughs> how to fight with your kids. Um, but it's not that kind of fighting. We're going to talk about how to healthily fight with your kids um, and navigate conflict. And I think even if you don't have kids, this is really great content for you. So we have all that. And then um, the next thing I want to talk about is last week Patrick talked about um, the ParentQ app, and he encouraged a lot of you, if you're parents and you have kids in our program, to download this thing called the ParentQ app. Did anybody do it? Come on. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So if your hand was not up and you have children in our program, I would love, I would strongly encourage you to download the ParentQ app. So Patrick talked about how this app kind of tells you how many more weeks you have until your child graduates. Um, so yeah, it looks like this. And um, in there, it, a lot of, I know a lot of you are like angsty, like, I don't know if I want to know. That's like terrifying that I only have this many weeks left with my child. But the cool thing is, is it helps us make every single week with our child count. Now, the other cool thing with this app is that, as you saw when it was scrolling, um, if you scroll down a little bit, there are devotionals, and it's like um, what to say during cuddle time, and what to say during bath time, and what to say during dinner time. And it like gives you all of these practical engagements with your children um, to just dig a little bit deeper. And actually, the cool thing about that is all of the content on the ParentQ app, um, it corresponds with everything that we're talking about in K-Kids. So we learn, we learn about Elijah, and that's what is on the ParentQ app. And it just it gives you a Bible story, and it tells you all these awesome things um, that we're learning in K-Kids. So it helps, it helps them learn just not on a Sunday, but throughout the whole week. And that's how we want to partner with you. So download the ParentQ app. Did I make that really obvious today? Yes, we love it. Um, the next thing I want to do is we have some really cool um, moments that are going to be happening at the end of service. And so um, we're going to take our offering right now. So I'm going to go ahead and um, invite our ushers to come down. And we just want you to know that if, if you're a first-time guest, if this is your first time here, we, this is the only part of our service that we don't really design with you in mind. We, we use this time of offering for um, really people who call Kensington their home. And so if you have been coming here for a while and you believe in the mission and the vision of this place and you just see the way that God is moving, we just want to say thank you so, so much. Thank you for um, trusting us with this. Thank you for trusting God um, with your money and just investing in um, to a bunch of different things. Kensington has, a, if, you, if you've been here for some time, you know that we have a lot of stuff going on around here. And actually, one of those things, one of these ministries that you're, you're giving to is something called 1829. And I wanted to talk about that today um, because that's, that's my community. I'm part of our 1829 community. My husband and I have just 
Um, we felt like God is asking us to lead this community. And so some of you are part of small groups. And that's what, this is what 1829 um, it started off being a small group, and um, so my husband and I are just kind of leading all of these young adults in our living room, and the cool thing is, is that it's exploding. Like, there are times when we have more than 20 people in our living room, and we're like, our house isn't big enough for this. We got to do something else, and so um, God has just kind of put this idea in our heart to um, get every 18, and 20, 18 to 29-year-old that is in this place to Mundo's, so you see this thing behind me. It says Mundo's. We're going to um, go to the coffee shop on March 6th from 7 to 8 30 and here's what i want you to do if you're a young adult i just challenge you to come and hang out with us I, if you're an introvert and this it's awkward for you to meet new people um just this one initial invite might be a little bit intimidating but our hope is that we can get all of the young adults in our church to come and meet and then we can break off into small groups um, and just make time for community um, our hope is that in the future we can have this time for us to um, come together like maybe once a month and we'll do like a night of worship or we'll just go eat together or we'll go play games at Incredible Moe's. I don't know what, the, we don't, we're not sure what it looks like yet, but we want to see kind of who here is a young adult and how we can move them out. Um, I think that's it. I'm really passionate about 1829. Can you guys tell? Uh, they put me on stage to talk about all these things that I'm so passionate about today. Um, but there is uh, one more thing that I want to tell you guys, and that is our next series coming up. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a little glimpse of what um, the series coming up next week looks like. So take a look at this. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And so we have people that are launching new initiatives, new dreams all the time. The beauty of life is when you can say, we did this together. That's what I want. As a church family, we can fuel incredible mission and ministry here and around the world. I think the best is yet to come. I love that because it's so true. The best is yet to come, and that's what we believe here, and that's what we're excited about. So um, if you have a friend that doesn't come to church and you'd love them to come, this is an awesome series for them to come to. So next week, we are starting a brand new one. Well, hey, I would love for you guys to stand up. We're going to say hello to the people around you and give some high fives. And here's a question that I want you to ask. When do your children go to bed? And if, they don't, if you don't have children, what time do you go to bed and maybe what time should they be going to bed? What's bedtime around here? Let's talk about it. Hey, everybody, this is Patrick. And I just wanted to say thanks again for watching our service today online and being a part of this community. Now, we know that you might have some questions as you watch the service today and want to find out a little bit more information about who we are. And so we create an environment for you to do just that. Simply go to startingpoint.today. That's startingpoint.today and fill out that short form. And one of our staff members will reach out to you very shortly and answer any questions that you have about our church and about who we are. Again, thanks so much for watching. We'll be back at the end of the service today uh, to give you a little bit more information, but we'll see you here in just a few minutes. She took her first Look at step. Her. Have a great day, sweetie. I hope she'll be okay. Oh, she'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad, just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. 
girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Ugh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Oh, look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're gonna do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. Kensington. Uh, my name is Patrick, and we're so glad that you are here. And if this is your first time, uh, we are wrapping up a series today called It's Just a Phase. And the way that we kind of do our weekends is uh, every uh, every Sunday is kind of like an episode of a Netflix series. That's kind of how we do it. And so there's all these like little episodes that you can catch. And uh, and if you're not caught up on what we've been talking about, uh, you can go to kensingtonchurch.org slash watch. Uh, you can see everything that's kind of led us to the point that we are today. Uh, but just to get caught up on what we've been talking about, we've been talking about family and we've been talking about how you can navigate and ensure uh, that you are a healthy parent, but not only that, but how you can make sure uh, that you have a healthy family as well. And so to do that, we have like one basic premise uh, that is true of every single one of us. In fact, I want us to say this together because I think it's so true of us. And that's this, that no family is perfect. Can we say that together, right? Everybody loud, like with your, you know, take a deep breath and say it really I don't know what the word is. Rambunctious. Rambunctious is what we're going to go with. All right, are you count three? One, two, three. No. All right, but on the perfect side, I think we need to emphasize that. Can we emphasize that? Is that all right? So on the count of three, let's do this as loud as we can. One, two, three. No family is perfect. Yeah, especially the person sitting next to you, right? Not you, right? Like, this is true of us, right? No family is perfect as much as you want to believe that, you know, every family is. You know, they're just not. And even as much as you love your mom or you love your dad or, you know, he was the best thing ever or she was the best thing ever. The truth is they weren't perfect. If you're a parent, you're not perfect as much as we want to be. We're just not. And because that's true, the other truth for us is that we have to work at family, right? You don't just wake up and make it happen. Like, you actually have to put in discipline and work and principles to ensure that you have a healthy family. Now, I think this is true of us, right? And we've been talking about this throughout the series. But the other thing that I think is true of us that we're going to specifically talk about today, that Taylor kind of already talked about a little bit, is this, that every single family fights, right? Like no family doesn't fight. Now you may fight differently. You may fight in passive aggressive ways. You may fight in aggressive ways. You may fight, you know, under your breath when you're walking out of the room. But the truth is that every single family at some point fights. So just so we're kind of clear, where are all of my people? You got to be honest. Now, again, you're in church. Where are the people that you're like the passive aggressive fighters? Anybody in here like you're that person? That's great. It should be roughly about half the room. Like you watch The Office and you know exactly how to say what you want to say, right? Like that's just how it goes. Like it's sarcastic and you're good at it. And then how many of you are like the aggressive fighters? Anybody the aggressive fighters in the room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens to you is you get all upset. Your face turns red. Your nose starts bleeding right here just like 11, right? I mean, then how isn't that kind of how that happens? Like, it's, it is a stranger thing when you get upset. Like, that's the kind of thing uh, that goes on with a lot of us. Um, now, that's how we fight. Now, 
to talk about this, I wanted you to get a glimpse of what a fight might look like or what I feel like a fight could look like when it's done really kind of cool, right? Are you guys up for that? Are you guys up for a little thing? So here's what I need you to do. I need you to go ahead and stand up. Everybody stand up. We're going to split the room in half. Take a deep breath, and then I need you to stretch out because we're going to require a few things of you. Now, to get this going, I want to invite our master DJ up. I was trying to come up with a cool name for you. I got nothing. You guys give it up for the Ryan Valdivias, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Valdivias. Are we... All right, let me tell you what we're going to do while he's looking for that. Right? When it comes to this, what we're going to do is we've got a little drop the mic kind of moment that we are. are you, are you, your mic is all sparkly, too. That's pretty pretty awesome. All right, Ryan, tell us what we're going to do. All right, I'll tell you what you're going to do. Thanks, Patrick. Give it up for Patrick. He's awesome. All right, can I invite my contestants? We got Tara the Tara Dan Herder. Give it up for Tara. All right, and then the contender, Charlie D. Money. Give it up for Charlie. Come on. All right. Now, Tara... How do you and Charlie know each other? What, what, what's the backstory here? I'm his mother. Got it. Got it. Love it. Love it. And Charlie, how long have you known your mom for? Eight years. Eight years. So you're about eight, right? Yep. Awesome. Love it. All right. Now we established the ground story. We are going to have a drop the mic battle. So like Patrick said, this half of the room, you guys are on Tara's squad. Let me hear you guys scream. Here we go. And then this half of the room, you're on Charlie's squad. Come on, give it up for Charlie. All right. This is an official, unofficial drop the mic rap battle. You guys ready? All right, DJ, roll that music. Here we go. All the music you listen to is made by losers. Why don't they play an instrument instead of just computers? T-Swift, Selena Gomez, One Direction, and J-Beeps. You think we have bad music? At least ours has melody. Okay. All right. Coming in with the quickness. That was pretty good. All right, do you have an answer back, Charlie D? Yep. All right, let's hear him. Let's spin that. Let me ask you one question. Have you ever heard of Twitter? No, you're right. Facebook is cool to pair up babysitter. The only time you need to be suck up the TV so you can have a scramble egg like going Ramsey. Whoa! <laughs> Food Network this. Very good, very good. Okay, Tara the Tara, do you got? It? Do you have an answer back to that? Okay, she's got it. Come on, let's make some noise this side. Come on. Hey, I know you think you're lit, YOLO, with charisma. You should know, I saw everything you posted on your Insta. So there's no need to hide it. Don't pretend you found it. <laughs> Take a private, if it's safe to say, you're grounded. Oh, whoa. The parental consequence disc. Okay, I like that. All right, that was that was that was pretty quick. All right, I, I, I lost it. She's a using. I'm, she's I'm coming using, back. I'm you're coming using back. all your ammo right up front. Okay, you ready, Charlie? You ready for this? You got something in for you? Okay, come on, this side. Let's give it. Make some noise for him. Here we go. Hey, you know I loved you, but my curfew is a bore. I think your mind is slipping. No one says yolo anymore. I'm grounded. Please, I always found a way you couldn't stop me if you tried. Oh, and you're going gray. Whoa. It is getting it is getting heated up here. Okay, all right. Are you are you are you okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is good. All right. What what do you have something to say back to that? I think you do. All right, DJ. Let's play that. Hey, 
I brought you into this world so I can take you out of it. I don't get your Snapchats, not to mention that you're proud of it. What about your grades, keeping your room clean? I'm shocked you can run, you only talk to your screen. Whoa! Do you, do you even have a phone? Nope. No? You don't have a screen of any kind, do you? Nope. Or maybe, maybe that was a little premature. You got, you got an answer back, Charlie? Yeah, let's do it. Let's give it up for Charlie. Come on! Don't give me no respect, got me feeling like Aretha. And my allowance this month, please, from charging out on your visa. While we're discussing all your parenting flaws, we're out of snacks, you can't rhyme, now hold for my applause. Oh! All right. By, by a show of applause, who thinks Tara the Tara did a pretty good job? Let's hear it up for Tara! All right. What about Charlie D. Money? All right, all right. That was pretty close. Let's hear it for Tara. And then Charlie D. Money. All right, so in drop the mic, rap battle fashion, now you have the honors to do the honorable thing to do in a drop the mic fashion. Go ahead. Give it up for Charlie. Wow, you guys can have a seat. You know what's amazing about that whole thing is I'm standing there going, I'm 30 years old, and there's never been a day or will there be a day that I'm as cool as Charlie, right? Isn't that true? <laughs> That's just true. Yeah, awesome job, guys. Now, here's what I love about that. This is so much fun. What I love about that is how many of you as a parent, when you've argued with your kid, they said something and you didn't even know where that came from, but it was awesome. Anybody ever said that? Real quick, how, how many of you have ever been simultaneously frustrated with your son or daughter and super proud at the same time? Anybody ever... You know what that's like, right? I mean, it's just an interesting thing, right? And the truth is, you're going to fight. Every single family fights. That's just true, right? But the second thing that I want to talk about, and this is going to be the question that we spent some time on today, is this. How does your family fight? Like, what does that look like? How do you have those conversations? What does it look like when there's tension in the home? What does fighting actually look like for you and your family? Now, when I was growing up, um, I didn't get in trouble a ton, but when I did, I really, like, I did it really well all at one time, right? And so there was a, uh, my mom was an incredible mom. She really was. Uh, but she was very creative in the way that she would do consequences in the home, which I always thought was fascinating on the other side of the consequence, right? That's how it worked. And so uh, for me, there was a time where I, uh, I was frustrated about a lot of things, and I was, you know, kind of going off. And I'm home uh, one time, and, and, and we're having this conversation, and she said something that made me so incredibly angry. Like, I was so incredibly angry at it. And I said something back to her that we won't, you know, say on the stage. It was not a good moment at our home. Now, she could have done a couple of things. She could have come back to me, like, aggressively. She could have been passive-aggressive back. But she did this, which I think is the most, like, frightening thing any mother can do. What she does, she went, hmm. You know one of those? Uh, you know, moms, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She's like, hmm, okay, you can make that choice. You're going to regret it, you know? And so I didn't really know all that was going on or what would come next, but I played basketball at the time, and uh, I, was, I started on our little basketball team that I was a part of. And, and so uh, I was driving to the high school that night. I ended up driving my car there. Uh, I left my car uh, at the high school, and I had a black uh, Jeep Wrangler. So I was super proud of this car. You know, it was, it was after I had my Dodge Caravan. So things were going a lot better for me as a sophomore. 
than they were as a freshman. And, uh, and so I parked my car. You know, we had had this big fight earlier. She did the thing. And then I got uh, on the bus, and we go to the basketball game. And uh, the coach didn't start me that night, which was kind of weird. And so I'm like, that's, that's kind of odd. And, you know, first quarter went by. I was a little bit frustrated. Second quarter went by. I started to get really frustrated. And then at halftime, I'm like, why, why did you not start me? Why am, I, why am I not playing? And he goes, well, well, we'll just talk later. And I'm like, okay, you know, third quarter. I didn't play fourth quarter. I didn't play at all during the game. Uh, and then at the end, we all come back on the, the team bus. And so we get, back to the, you know, we get back to the school, and I look, and my car is gone. My car is not there. Uh, and my coach puts his arm around me, smiles, and said, we're going to take you home tonight. <laughs> And so we get in my coach's car, and from the time we got to the, from the school to my house, we had to talk about things we say and don't say to women, right? We had a thing where we talk about what manhood really looks like and that sort of thing. We had this great conversation on his end, and then we get back to our house, and I walk in the door, and I kid you not, my mom's just kind of standing there, and she's just going, <laughs> just kind of waiting on me. And I love this. It's such a creative thing. And, you know, I got there, I played guitar, all my guitars were gone, you know, when I got there, the whole deal. And we, and, and we talked about it. I thought it was such a fascinating thing. Now, the fascinating part about this is she was by no means, you know, a perfect parent. She would say the exact same thing, you know. But when it came to the arguments and the fights that we would have, what was so interesting about her is that she decided at some point, and, and the phases that I kind of moved in and out of or went through as I got older, she decided early on that the way that we were going to fight was going to be controlled by her, Right? That she was going to control the way that those interactions happened. And no matter what I was doing or how upset I would get or, you know, how angry or frustrated, what was fascinating is she knew that she could control her response and that she could guide it. And I always thought that was such an interesting thing, especially on this side of being a parent. Uh, Now, when it comes to that, the other piece of this is she was committed, even though we certainly weren't perfect at it. There were moments she said things that she would regret. I would say things that I would regret. But there were moments in our family, though. When, when she would say, this is how we're going to go about it, that would make our family more healthy. And it had nothing to do with personality. It had all to do with discipline and a perspective around how you would do that sort of thing in parenting. So what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to talk about what that looks like. But I want to talk about it within the context of a framework that oftentimes we don't acknowledge, but we still live by. And that's this, right? When it comes to parenting, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to your spouse even... A lot of us kind of bend either towards a rules-based personality or a relational-based personality. Now, you're not 100% in either one of these. So if you're, like, high on the rules, you're still a good person. You know what I mean? Like, we're saying that. And if you're super relational, you still probably have rules that you keep up with. But most of us kind of bend one direction or another. And most of us have parents that bend one direction or another as well. Which is why when you talk to parents, right, or you, you, know, you talk to parents who have multiple kids, You hear them say, my dad is like, and then they'll fill in the blank, but my mom is like, and then they'll fill in the blank, right? That I can get away with things with my dad all the time because he's not really the rules-based person. He's a relational person. He hugs me a lot. You know, I'm daddy's girl. You hear that kind of thing all the time. But when it comes to rules, he's not going to be the person. Like, you didn't ever hear when your dad gets home. You didn't hear that, right? Now, when your mom got home, you were like, sweet Jesus. You know, like that sort of thing. Like, you felt that, right? Right, and for some of you, it was flip-flop. Some of you, it was like you had a rules-based dad, and your mom was highly relational. She would say those things, like when your dad gets home, and you feel all the way to that. And then some of you, your rules-based, and what you've done is you take it to an infinite degree. What You've got like a whole like chore list right on the refrigerator with stars and check marks and the whole deal. And here's what you know. Whether you're the rules person or not, even if you have an enforcer at the house, 
right? You know this, that you've come up with the rules that everybody should live by, right? You're the rules-based person when it comes to your home. And that's not a bad thing. Relational isn't a bad thing either. This just is, and you have a little bit or a lot of bit of both in your personality. Now, this is why this is so significant, though, right? When it comes to a bent, your bent towards rules or relationship will shape the way that you fight, right? Your bent towards rules or relationship will significantly affect the way that you fight. And what happens is when the fight begins to get intense or more and more frustrating or more and more emotional, you tend, and I'll miss this, you tend to bend further in the direction that you're already bent towards. Which means if you're a rules-based person or you've been more that direction, when something isn't going your way, what you do is you grasp at more control, don't you, right? Now, you know, you know this. Your son or daughter, they break a rule, and you either come back with a whole new set of rules or your whole consequences are centered on some of that. The relational side of this, a lot of people are passive-aggressive on this side, right? If you're the relational-based, you just become more and more and more passive-aggressive, more and more and more sarcastic. You do those kinds of things over and over and over again, and it, you bend more in the direction when the conversation or when the fight gets more heated. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, depending on how far you bend. And I think most of us would say, either in our, you know, in our dating relationships, in our friendships, you know, whether we're, you know, parents or not, in all of our relationships, there are times where because of this principle, we've bent too far and we have regrets. And some of you consistently bend too far and you consistently have regrets. And the gap between you and your son or daughter is so wide that it makes you frustrated. Or the gap is so closed and you're like BFFs and you're hashtagging things and you're like, whatever that is. But you never are able to fully speak truth in the way that you know you should or that you wish that you could. You may be a best friend, but you have almost no influence over what they do. Now, none of us are 100% in either one of those camps. But what I want to do is I want to talk about a principle that Jesus teaches in one of the most fascinating ways. Again, it's one of my favorite parts of the Bible because of what he does, right? Now, he's going to have a moment where he drops the mic much like Charlie did, which was incredible, right? And he's going to do something when he does this that, like, flips everything on its head, uh, and, and including the way that we should look at parenting. And so to talk about this, though, I feel like I need to give you a little bit of backstory. And so if you're not a history, you know, person, track with me for just a second, because I think what we're going to say here is really going to set up all that Jesus is going to say uh, over these next few minutes. Now, there's four primary characters in the passage that we're going to look at. There's a group called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Both of these are religious uh, kind of leaders or religious groups that are also deeply connected to the political structures and political foundations of their day, right? That's important to note because the conversation that's about to happen with both of those camps, they're the religious elites, but they're deeply connected to the political structures that are going on during the time. And then the third group are the people that are kind of in the crowd, right? These are like your average people. A lot of them were Jewish, and they had a very specific way of thinking about the world, right? So for the religious elite and the people who were Jewish of the time period, they're basing a lot of the foundation of their behavior and their decision-making off of a set of 613 laws that you can read through in your Bible in the Old Testament, right? Now, what that is, is this fascinating way of looking at the world and looking at faith, and this fascinating way of looking at their behavior and how their behavior connects to and relates to God, right? Now, when you understand that those laws were foundational to a lot of their behavior, you begin to understand what Jesus is about to do in terms of flipping all of that 
on his head. And then the last person in, in, the, in the narrative is Jesus. Now, what I want to do for the next few minutes is something that's going to feel kind of odd, if you're, especially if you're a follower of Jesus in the room. But what I want you to do for these next few minutes is to look at Jesus, not from the narrative that you've been given on this side of this story, right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, you get to see the whole narrative of it saying, you know, he lived his life and then he died and he rose from the grave and we put our trust in him, salvation, the whole deal. I want you to back all the way up to the moment that we're going to look at. Because when you back all the way up to the moment that you're going to look at, the people that are listening to Jesus teach, the religious elite and the way that they approach him, weren't necessarily looking at him as the savior of the world. They're looking at him as a rabbi who is a teacher and traveling this ancient world, teaching extraordinary things at points, claiming divinity and ruffling feathers. And he had a group of people who were following him like any rabbi would have. And so what this group of religious elite is about to do is try to trap Jesus and make him seem like any other crazy rabbi who is teaching things and ultimately going to claim divinity. And I want you to look at what Jesus says and how he approaches this from that angle, because when you see that, you see the extraordinary words that Jesus says and how we can put those into context. Does that make sense? There's a lot of words at once. Hopefully that's it. All right, so this is Matthew. Uh, We're looking at chapter 22, verses 34 through roughly 40. Uh, So this is the narrative that Matthew gives us of this encounter. Matthew says it this way, hearing that Jesus, now I love this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now this one sentence right here I think is so extraordinary because the Sadducees were an influential religious group uh, connected to political power, as were the Pharisees. And what happens is the Sadducees come to Jesus with a question that's not really a question, right? Now here's what I mean by that. Moms in the room, everybody, moms, look at me real quick. Have you ever come home and you've asked a question, but your question was actually a statement, right? So here's an example of this, right? It's like when you come home and you say this, was somebody supposed to take out the trash today? That is not a question. That is meaning somebody better take out the trash, right? That's how that works. Now, you can say questions, but you actually mean a statement. And so what the Sadducees tried to do is they tried to trap Jesus, give him a question that was actually a statement and see if he would stumble up on it. Now, I love this. This is so powerful what Matthew says. Matthew says that Jesus silenced the Sadducees. So there's all these people groups. They're all around. You know, Jesus silences the Sadducees. And so the Pharisees go, well, we're smarter than they are anyway. You know? So let's try to trip them up. And so it says that they got together, which in my mind when I read this passage almost feels like a basketball huddle. You know, you ever seen it before the game? They all huddle up and they find like the smart one in the group, right? You, you're smart. You, you know, you're a lawyer, right? You, you come up with this. That's what it says. One of them, an expert in the law who is kind of like this lawyer figure, tested him with a question. And so they all get together. They all huddle up. Who's going to ask the question? Who's got the best question? How are we going to trip him up? Oh, that's you. You're great. You're a lawyer. Come on. You, all right, you, you got it? Go. Now go ask him the question. So they kind of mosey on up to ask him a question to trip him up. Here's the question that they ask him. The teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? To which in this moment, I picture them like they come out of the huddle. The lawyer kind of pokes his head out, asks the question. They're all like, oh, they walk back. You know, like the coach of the team's like, that's good. That's good. And they think that they've got him. Now, here's why they think they have him. And I think this is so beautiful. This is such a great thing. Is Jesus wasn't the only rabbi. So these kinds of questions weren't new. 
what they were were they were these rabbinical kind of debates that they would get all these rabbis in. And they could debate all kinds of things. Because Jesus could have answered and he said, you know what, the greatest commandment really centers around. And in this culture, it was this, this marking of who you are being circumcision. He could have had a great debate around that. He could have had a great debate over like where their loyalty was to Rome and the empire. And what does it look like to exist within that? Rabbis disagreed a lot on that sort of thing. How do we navigate that? You could have had a big debate on money and how much do you keep and how much do you give to the, you know, the temple versus how much do you give to, you know, to Rome. He could have done that. And they're expecting him, now don't miss this, to respond back to one of the 613 laws that they live by. Now, this is the part that I think you miss if you don't get all the context. That's why I want to tell you so much of it. Because if Jesus responds to any of the 613 laws, what they've done is they've positioned themselves as the judge over what he says, and they subordinate him to being the one that is being judged. You ever done that? You walk into a room, somebody asks you a question, and just because you answer the question, everybody in the room gets to judge what you have to say in the way that you answer it. And there's a no-win situation there for you. Now, the reason that this is so important, and I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want you to miss this either. The reason it's so important it's because even though there were other rabbis teaching things or other teachers or other like almost cult-like things popping up all over the ancient world, none of them were disrupting, I don't miss this, none of them were disrupting the perceived political peace between the Jews and the Roman Empire. And right in the middle of that perceived peace are the Pharisees. The reason they care so much about trapping Jesus and discrediting him and putting him off is because of that perceived peace between the two worlds. And so they trap Jesus with this question. They're all doing one of these. And what Jesus responds with is so brilliant because he doesn't allow himself to be trapped. In fact, he flips the whole script on them. He says something extraordinary. Jesus replies with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, that's not new. Right, we talked about this in week one. This is actually from Moses. And the Shema and the whole, like, you know, everything we talked about in week one. Now, if Jesus stops here, they would have been slightly confused, but still feel like they won. What Jesus does next is it attaches something to this that both uh, elevates his claims of divinity and then at the same time shuts every single one of them up. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he goes on and he says this. The first is the greatest commandment and the second is like it. The second thing I'm about to tell you is synonymous with, connected to. They're intertwined, and this is the part where they got a little bit uneasy. The, the next thing I'm about to say is connected to it. So love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is not the guy that lives next to you that doesn't mow his lawn, right? As soon as Jesus uses the word neighbor, the things that get conjured up in their mind are Samaritans and the racial inequality that's going on there. People that didn't agree with them in their Jewish faith and believe things completely outside of it, completely different. People who were, were viewed as, as outcasts because of the decisions they made in terms of prostitution, those kinds of things. Jesus is saying, your neighbor are the people that are around you, 
and you don't get to get out of it because you disagree with them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then this is the part where it's like, and all the law, all the 613 laws that you've based your entire life on, and the prophets, all of the people who you hold in high esteem and that you've chosen to follow, hang on these two commandments. And I feel like Peter's like, what? You know? I will never do that again. I promise. I will never do that again. My wife's like, thank God. And the reason this is so powerful is Jesus is like, you're so focused on 613 checkboxes. But if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But we don't stop there because if you stop there, you can't judge that. I don't know how much you love God. Except when I look at how you treat other people. That the 613 laws that you can hide behind because you checked all the boxes, but you still treat people poorly. We can look at that. That you can get all the laws right and the Pharisees were, you know, kings of this. You get all the check boxes right, you do all the right things, but you're still distant from people that God loves so much. That you, talking to Pharisees, You have separated law and relationship, rules and relationship, and allowed your rules to be something that you can hide behind so that you don't have to do the relationship. We'll do this in our culture. Is that all right? We'll make everybody happy. Let's be fun. That because of the rules and things that I believe in, I won't have a relationship with you because you're divorced. And I'm going to create distance there. Because of the rules and the things that I believe in, I won't have a relationship with you because you're gay. We're not going to do that. Because of the rules and the things that I believe in, I'm not going to move towards the relationship because you look differently than me, but I just won't say it out loud. And I'll stand on my Twitter account. She's like, no, no, no. Your neighbor as yourself. And he looks at all the Pharisees and says, you can check every single box. But until you learn how to hold the relational and the rules in tandem at the same time, you're just a bag of wind. Claiming to follow Jesus in a way. Now, in our culture, this is interesting because we experience this more online than we experience it in person. Some of you experience it in person. Where you're like surfing through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And I believe this and I believe this and you're wrong and you're wrong. And we've ceased to be kind, haven't we? And we're so confident, aren't we? And I feel like Jesus was like, do you love those that are different than you, that believe different than you, that act different than you, look different than you, as your neighbor? Do you run towards a relationship? And even broader than that, 
Do the people who are in your sphere of influence believe that you are not fighting with them, that you are fighting for them? Because if you want to know what Jesus meant by all the things that Jesus says, you watch what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was move towards the disenfranchised, towards people that weren't anything like him. And he stepped into all of those categories. Relationally, we could look at it like this. That I'm not going to choose to fight with you. I'm just not going to do that. And that's a choice that you always get to make. But when there's tension, I'm going to fight for your heart. I'm going to fight for the relationship. And I'm going to move in your direction. No matter what. Now, this is so powerful and so poignant when it comes to parenting. Because if you've ever met a sophomore girl, you know that there are moments you're not on the same page. If you've ever met a sixth grade boy, you know there are moments you're not on the same page. You drop them off in sixth grade and three days later they came back a hormone. You're like, what happened? And oftentimes in our culture, and some of you, this is your story. You had a parent that was right, that was right, that was right. And they might have been right. But there was never a point that you felt like they were fighting for you. Or fighting for your heart. Sometimes you simply rebelled because you didn't believe that they were for you. Come on, how many of us in the room, you don't have to answer out loud, but how many of us in the room made some of our biggest regrets or decision regrets simply to get the attention of somebody that was a parent that had never said that they loved us enough to be for us. Now, for those of us who are parents in the room, for those of us who are small group leaders in the room, for those of us who are crazy uncles in the room and we have influence over kids, what we talked about last week is so poignant, I think so focused on what we're saying here, is this, that when you realize or you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. But not only that, you tend to do things differently now than you would have done it. We put 17 weeks up on the board last week uh, for those of you who are, you know, parents of seniors. Now you have 16 weeks left. I'm fine. You know, that sort of thing, you know. And you look at these 16 weeks, not only is what you have now, but what you are going to do differently now. I have an almost two-year-old. I want to do things differently because I'm seeing how much time that I have. And here's the part that, as I process through the fighting and the arguments, and even like with a two-year-old, how do you navigate discipline and all that sort of thing? The thing that I've been praying that would haunt you at night, right? This is the part that I like, because that sounds odd to pray, but I really do. I pray like this is like every fight that you're thinking about it. You know, every, every moment there's tension, you're thinking about it, and that's this. Is that you can win the argument, and you can force the right behavior, but you can also lose the heart in the process. Now, that doesn't mean every single fight you're just hugging it out and high-fiving. I'm the best dad in the world. If you take away the car, there's going to be tension. You say, no, you can't go to the dance, there's tension. But there's also the opportunity for your son or daughter to believe without a shadow of a doubt that the decisions that you made were based off of you fighting for them and that when you're fighting, you're not just fighting. You're not fighting with them. You are fighting both for their heart and for their future.
So the question, I've literally been praying this, that you would be like haunted by is this. Does your son or daughter, or whoever the kids are in your life that you influence, does your son or daughter know and, what's that word? Does your son or daughter know and feel that you are for them? Now, this is created in the small moments of everyday life, just as much as it's created in the tension moments as well. Is there a way to parent where every single one of the kids that are connected to our church both know and feel that we are for them, even when we say no, even when we say not right now, even when we say you can't have that? Is that possible? So throughout the series, what I've been doing is giving you like three handles to think about within the context of, you know, what these bottom lines are. So here's what I ask you to do. I've been asking you to do this for a little bit. I'd love for you to pull out your phones and uh, you can take notes on it. So you need to take notes. Or I'd love for you to take a picture, either one of those. They'll be up on the side screens. There's three specific ways that I'd love for you to focus on this particular principle. Um, and then we'll wrap up. The first one is this. I want you to remember this. That you need to communicate in a style that values the relationship. Now, we've said versions of this before, but I think this is so important, right? Communicate in a style that values relationships, which means it's never just rules. It's never just relationship. It's always both in tandem and equal to each other because Jesus embodied both, right? And you, and you embody both. That you show them that you love them by caring about how you communicate to them individually, and you show them that you're for them. Now, I said this, my in-laws were at the 9 o'clock service. They were over there. They have five kids, four girls, and they just kept trying until they got a boy. So number five was a boy. It was great, you know. And all the kids are different. All the girls are different. You know, the, the boy's different, too. He's a boy. He's 25. You know, they're all different, you know. And I love this because when I, I've got to talk to, you know, all their family, obviously, over the years. And they talk about their dad who, you know, he would say, certainly not perfect, but they're all kind of like, I'm favorite, you know? President of the university that I attended, he would say the same thing. There were 12 of them. I don't know how you have that many kids, but they had 12 kids, you know? I know how, but they had 12 kids. Uh, they had 12 kids, right? And he, he said this, we would all say that we're our dad's favorite. That's this. That you communicate in a style that values the relationship, even when you're delivering things that are very difficult. Part of that is being extraordinarily vulnerable with who you are and acknowledging your own brokenness. You're not perfect. You never will be. And people need to know and see that you're not. You need to show and tell that. Second one is this. You need to leverage your words to shape their direction. Right? Now, this is so important. It's so important. All right. Studies have shown us this. That the average kid in elementary school hears 6 to 7, or I think it's like 6.7 something, but 6 to 7 negative words for every one positive word they hear. Now, you can't control that at school. You can't control that with a teacher. You can't necessarily control that with a coach. But when they're with you, you can control that. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't need to give criticism or negative feedback or anything like that. You need to parent. Please don't be the person that doesn't parent, you know, or don't do that, you know, please. But you can affirm just as much. And then how are you going to affirm the individual parts of who they are? That, that's the kind of parenting that changes the hearts of kids. That this is who you are. I'm going to find those things that make you who you are and call out the best of you consistently while simultaneously guiding you in the ways that you need to be guided. Dad's in the room, come on. Crazy uncles in the room, men in the room. Your words hold so much weight. And it's not that moms don't or women don't as well, but, but you know this. Fathers in the room, they just carry this weird, odd, it's not even, you know, it's not even more, it's just a different weight. 
You need to manage the things that you say, which means this, that when you've had a bad day at work, and we all have bad days at work, and you come home, and you're frustrated, and you're angry because they said this about you, or somebody that works for you didn't do the thing they needed to do, and you're all upset, you know? And if you carry that into the home, it is a form of leveraging your words to shape them. You're just not shaping them in the way that you want to, right? Now, I love talking to, like, high-level CEOs and executives in companies, and uh, there's a, I got, I'm, I'm fairly close friends with uh, a vice president of Blue Cross Blue Shield, right? Thousands of people work for this man. Thousands of people work for this man. But every time I see him, he's got two, two daughters. They gush over him. They lo- he's like the sweetest, like carefree, you know, like talking Disney movies the whole time, like all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I'm picturing that. That's great. And I looked at him one time, because I've never seen him at work, and I looked at him and I was like, I know you don't talk Disney movies at work. Like, I know that's not what you're doing. And I know the kind of decisions you make day in and day out because we've talked about it. So how do you not take that home? I thought this was some of the best advice I've ever heard. He said, well, at every house that we've lived in, about a quarter of a mile away from the house, I have picked a spot that's like the end line for the office. It's not that I'm not going to get in the car and not think about what happened, because I am. But I'm going to pick an end spot. Now, this one end spot for him at whatever the last house was, was a McDonald's, which I thought was amazing, right? When I get to this McDonald's, I'm done. I'm done emotionally with it. I'm putting it away. I'm not, I'm, I am going to be done. So the time that I get home and I walk in the door, the first impression that my kids get of me is a full, present father. I, I'm a pastor, and that's hard, you know? But I think, come on. If we could figure out how to get that thing right, and our words followed suit, it would shape in a big way. The other thing I'll tell you on on this, and we'll wrap this part up, is this, is that you need to recycle the big stories that are part of your family, right? You've got to learn to recycle them. Often I talk to parents, and I'm like, well, they get frustrated because I tell the same stories all the time. That is amazing. You only know that you're telling the story enough when your kids go, oh, no, I've heard this one a thousand times. And, their kid, and then they bring their friends over, and you're like, let me tell you this story. And they're like, not that one. No, no, not that one? No, Dad, please. No, I'm going to tell you. You'll be fine, you know? It's counseling later for you on this one, right? And you tell the story, you know? Now, here's why it's so important. What's going to shape the direction of your kid's heart and what they believe about themselves is in large part based off of the stories of your life. And the beautiful part about this is when they hit 30 or 40 years old, now they're retelling the story to their kids, and it moves on, and you're that crazy whatever it is that you did, and you're like, oh my goodness. But it shapes their heart. One of the unifying factors of kids that go home to their families later on in life, I've seen this over and over again, are the stories that they tell. The people that don't end up going home at the end, right, this is so interesting to me. They're not telling stories that they're fond of. Recycle those stories over and over and over and over again because it will shape the heart of your child from there. And the last one is this. I think you need to embrace embrace dependence on God and then show and tell. This is a part of this is show and tell. Now, here's why this is important, and I, I feel like we just need to, like, say this out loud is you can apply everything that we talked about today and you're still a flawed person and a flawed parent. Now you're going to get in scenarios and situations where you don't know what to do and you're not going to know what to do based off of your own strength. So if you're somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, I would say you kind of have to throw this out because you don't believe this anyway. And that's okay. That's why we have this place so you can kind of think through it and talk about it. But I would say if you are a follower of Jesus, come on, we say this all the time. I don't know what to do. Lead me. And you start there. 
And then the other part of this, which I think is so important, is then you tell those stories about being dependent on God over and over and over again. And you show your kids that you need God and you're dependent upon him. One of my favorite memories of my mom is that any time in high school when I'd go on a date, she was praying when I left and praying when I got back. Now, I don't know if she prayed the whole time. I tend to think she probably did. But I remember that. I remember seeing my mom reading her Bible. I remember, I remember hearing my mom like walking by her room late at night after we lost everything. And the way that she prayed in those moments shaped my entire life. It's different. And some of you, you're like, well, I'll do that in private. They don't see it. Or some of you just don't do it, which you should fix that. But I think, I think they need to hear that. Some of you need to prioritize. This is going to sound odd. You need to prioritize your relationship with God so that your kids see it. Now, I think you should prioritize it, prioritize it either way. But if that's a motivator for you, that's fine. But they need to see what it looks like to have a parent who has extraordinary faith and isn't trying to do it on their own. So I said this earlier, and we're going to wrap up in a second, but that's this. I want you to remember this because I want it to shape the way that you parent, and that's this. You can win the argument. You can force the right behavior, but lose the heart in the process. And so my hope for you, my hope for all of us is this, that we make a choice, and the choice is this, and that's what I want you to remember. Is that for us, we're going to be people who are choosing to fight for the heart now because we know that fighting for their future later. Choosing to fight for their heart right now is a choice to choose to fight for their future later. That's extraordinarily important that we make this choice. Now, last thing I'm going to say, and then uh, we're going to sing a song together, is this. Last week, I, I, was, I was after, I think it was a 9 o'clock service, and I'm in between, and I'm having a conversation with a lady who's an empty nester, and she goes, I love the stuff that you're teaching on, but I'm simultaneously brokenhearted, because when I hear the things that you're teaching on, it's hard for me because I see all of the things that I wish I would have done differently. I see the regrets that I have, that sort of thing. I talked to senior, parents of seniors over the last couple of weeks, same, same sort of thing, a version of this. The thing with empty nesters is this, is that some of you, you've been distant from your son or daughter for a long time. It's not like a year thing. It's been like a five-year thing or a six-year thing or ten-year thing. And what you hear from them over and over and over again is, I don't want you part of my life. They don't answer the phone when you call. You show up and they don't really, you don't feel welcome, that sort of thing. And in some of you, you're like parents of high school students or middle school students, right? And you're, you were close, but now you're not close anymore to your kids. Like, it feels like you're irrelevant to your kids now. And I know this sounds odd, but I think both of those places, like both of those postures, have the same remedy. It really does. I tell high school parents this all the time, all the time. Is that your son or daughter may continually push you away for the next four years. Hopefully that's not the case, but they may. Don't ever let them do that. You show up anyway. You show up even when they don't want you to show up. You call them even when you don't feel like they want you to call them. You have the conversations even when they don't want you to have the conversation because it matters. For those of you who are in that empty nester stage and you're like, I feel so disconnected. You've been trying for years and years to repair it. I know it seems overly simple and easy for a guy to stay on the stage. But there will be a day you are so glad and so thankful that you didn't stop pursuing your son or daughter. 
that you didn't let them win that argument. Because choosing to fight for their heart, even now, after there's no more marbles in the jar, no more time left on the apple, is still fighting for their future later. And fighting for the future of your grandkids later matters that you continue to show up. And the last thing I'll say, and then we'll pray. And for all of you in the room who are 20-something or 30-something or 40-something, maybe you're 50-something, I don't know, and you've been mad at your family for however long, and your dad did the thing that, you know, whatever, and your mom did the thing or whatever, and you haven't, you haven't let it go yet, you haven't forgiven them. And, and part of that is they're still doing the things they do, right? You've got to set up healthy boundaries. Absolutely. But I want to tell you this. I, I have to remind myself of this. There will be a day that you are glad that you cracked open the door of your heart and allowed that relationship in. Now, you got to figure out the health of all that. You're always injured, but you got you got to do that. And I would say this to you. <laughs> at some point or another, at some point or another, whenever that time is, if you have chosen not to, if you've allowed the distance to win, you will regret it. And the reason that I know that you'll regret it is because every single person that I've talked to in their 50s or 60s or whatever who didn't crack that door open, they regret it. Not one or two. Every single person. Even if you're right. Who cares if you're right? If you, you're right. Now let's be done with it. Now prioritize the relationship because it's going to matter. So I'd love you to stand up. Um, we're going to sing sing a song called Take Courage, uh, and then briefly sing a song at the end of this that I think really outlines a lot of what we're talking about. Here's what I want you to do for just a second, ready? I want you, if you're in the room, and you're like, I feel that distance with my students, or even my elementary school or middle school, whatever that is, while I'm praying, maybe what you should do is just say, God, I feel that distance, and you just need to acknowledge the distance, and for the first time, say, God, I'm dependent on you, help me. It's totally okay. You may not even be a follower of Jesus. And he's like, if you're up there, help me. That's great. You're in church. That's what you come on. That's what you do. Yeah. Hope for the best. Or if you're an empty nester and you feel that distance, I want you to pray that prayer. And then for those of you who have kids that are young, here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. Now you just pray in your head as I'm praying. I'm going to ask you to pray this. Help me. Help me. Because you need help. Help me to always fight for the heart, knowing that's what you're going to do remember. Let me pray for us. Father, this, uh, this last few weeks have hit all of us probably a little bit differently, and that's okay. But God, I ask for those of us who are kind of in the phase that I'm in or with elementary school kids or whatever that looks like, God, I, I just pray this prayer of, like, protection over us. That you would help us to always fight for the heart and the ways that we lead our families and the ways that we're present and the ways that we show up. Help us. 18 years from now, 20 years from now, whatever that is. To be parents that are known for always fighting for the heart, even in moments of conflict. God, help us to be known for that. Help us to be known as parents that chose to be for our kids. Help us to be known for that. And give us the wisdom to navigate every single one of the things that parenting is going to throw at us. God, I pray for the students in the room, or the people in the room who have students, or middle school, or high school, whatever that looks like. God, I, I pray that the moments when they're tempted to back up or disengage, I pray that you would propel them forward into the relationship. 
And even if it feels awkward in moments, and even if they don't feel like a cool parent in moments, and even if there's tension or they're yelling and they don't, you know, help them to show up. Help us to retell the stories that matter. One day when our kids are in college or beyond, they would be able to look back and say, I'm so thankful that they did. And God, I pray for every person in the room who's an empty nester and they feel disconnected or discontent or there's angst in the relationship that they hadn't figured out how to solve. God, they may never fully, fully solve whatever the problem is. But God, I pray that they would show up and fight for it anyway. I pray that if the door closes a thousand times, they open it a thousand and one. They never stop calling and they never stop pursuing. And every person who's in their 30s, every person with a similar story than me, God, help us to be grace-filled enough and like you enough that we open the door or at least crack it for relationship. God, we just ask that you would heal that brokenness and that you would give us this deeply rooted courage to pursue the hard things when it comes to faith. never fail
song is so powerful because I think that models exactly what we were talking about. That we might live in the way that Jesus did with that reckless kind of love, pursuing the heart, even in the midst of tension, even in the midst of difficulty. Uh, throughout the series, uh, we've kind of told you, like, there are a couple ways that you can go deeper with some of the content that we've been talking about. And uh, there's a couple of books that were really based uh, this series off of. Um, a couple of them are by Reggie Joyner. One of them is called Don't Miss It. One of them is called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. Uh, and then one of my favorite books to give, especially to middle school parents or high school parents, is a book called For Parents Only by Shanti Felton. And uh, what she talks about in that book is amazing, specifically around conflict. And so uh, we actually have a little mini bookstore out in the lobby. If you're a parent and you're like, hey, I would love to kind of dive deeper or learn more about that, uh, all those resources are out there. You can also buy all these on Amazon as well. Uh, but you can check those out uh, on your way out. And then the last thing I tell you is if it is your first time, you're like, I have questions about this church or how to get more connected or just clarifying things, we'd love to talk to you. So we have an environment called Starting Point out in the lobby. We'd love to meet you there. Or if you're introverted like I am, you can go to startingpoint.today and you don't have to see anybody today. It'll be great. So you can just do that. Uh, and then we just follow up with a phone call and, uh, and talk to you in that way. So hey, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you right back here next week as we kick off a brand new series. See you soon.
Thank you so much for watching online. We hope you enjoyed your experience today. And, uh, and as we wrapped up this series, again, we talked about some of those resources that we would love to connect you with as well. So we're going to be posting those resources on our Facebook page this afternoon. Uh, so you can find us at Kensington Traverse City. All those resources will be there. We'd love to get those uh, in your hands as well. Next week, we're kicking off a brand new series. You can join us again at 9 or 11. Uh, or you can follow along with what we're doing there on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. A lot of that stuff's going to be there as well. But again, 9 or 11 next week. With a brand new series. We'll see you soon. Thanks.